as we look forward, we consistently monitor the rent growth here in the United States and across all our key markets because the ability to grow rents is the fundamental to our success as any multifamily investor. Of course, shelter is a human need. Now more than ever, people of America need safe, affordable rental housing to raise their family. And this trend, along with natural rent growth, will continue to have an upward pressure on rents over the long term. However, now in the short term, we are seeing a pullback in rents across a large part of the US, including markets we own assets in. We have seen roughly 5 to 15% drop in average market rents over the past six months. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to grow their wealth by investing in US real estate. I'm your host, Reed Goosens, and so far, I've acquired over $800 million worth of investments on various properties across the United States. On this podcast, I interview go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business to learn more about their investment journey and the cutting-edge strategies they are applying towards building a legacy. For more on growing your own wealth and by investing in the US, visit www www.readgoosens.com. For those people who have joined us in the past, we this table of contents may look familiar. So what we're going to cover tonight for the next 40 minutes or so is we're going to do a, a recap from the previous webinar, what has happened over the last six months, and, and talk a little bit about the economic commentary, and then look at the future outlook in the, in the coming six months and what's going to happen in early 2024. And then we're going to tie it all back to how it, uh, how it affects the multifamily market update. And this is really important because we're all multifamily investors here. And then we're going to transition to talk about how we as a company uh, are transitioning for opportunities that lie ahead. And then at the end of the webinar, after about a 35, 40-minute presentation, we're going to hand it over to Investor Q&A. So if you do have any questions, please head over to send me an email. It's read at rsnpropertygroup.com. You can shoot your questions over there. With that being said, just a quick summary of who we are. You know, we, for those people who have never invested with us, again, welcome. But for those people who have, you know, you've seen this slide before, uh, we're a multifamily investment company. We have been investing uh, for the last nine years. We've had a total acquisition in the portfolios over 800 million. And we, you know, typically look at um, value add multifamily assets between, you know, in growth markets across the United States. Uh, our, our typical return profile is we try to like to double people's money uh, every five to seven years. So with that being said, uh, I'm going to jump straight into, or Ben's going to jump straight into the recap, Ben, of what we've done since the last uh, webinar. Now, last webinar, we covered a lot of ground. And one of the key points we made in not only our last webinar, but since we started doing these webinars in 2022, is that it's going to be a bumpy road ahead for investors in the economy. We talked about how we see this as a tough time for the unprepared, but if you have the right mindset, preparation, and strategy, you'll continue to see investment success that furthers your financial goals and puts you well ahead of the average Joe. And on the next slide, we'll talk about you know four of the key things that we covered, which is the length of economic growth, inflation, rates, and the resulting slowdown in the multifamily market. So let's start with the length of economic growth. We are on the tail end of the longest period of economic growth in the history of the United States of America. And that's even if you count the very brief recession at the start of COVID. Because of this, in the last 10 years, it's been very easy for investors in all asset classes, including real estate investors of all skill and competency levels, to make money. But timing does not equal talent. And uh, Reid, if you jump to the next slide, we'll talk about inflation here. And you know, starting in 2020, we saw inflation surge to the highest rate since the 1980s. This was the quickest increase in inflation in modern history too, 
Luckily, it peaked in mid-2023 and has been steadily dropping since. We're sitting at around 3.1%, which is still higher than the Fed's 2% target, but in much better shape than it was. And look, you don't have to be in finance or investment to see the real-world impact this has had on food prices, energy prices, and everyday Americans. As multifamily operators, we see this play out in the form of increased delinquency as tenants prioritize other needs before timely and full payment of rent. And we have to adjust to that in you know, a number of different ways. And we'll talk about rates. So to combat this inflation, starting in early 2022, the Fed funds rate climbed from 0 to 0.25% up to 5.25% to 5.5% today. This was the quickest increase in interest rates in modern history. Thankfully, it appears as if the hiking cycle has ended and we're transitioning into a rate cutting cycle, which bodes very well for multifamily real estate asset prices and cash flow. In yesterday's Federal Open Market Committee meeting, the Fed held rates firm at 5.25 to 5.5, and they indicated that they would not raise rates any further and that we should likely expect three cuts in 2024. And on the next slide here, you'll see a chart on the left-hand side showing the rate projections by the members of the Fed themselves. And in chart B on the right-hand side, you'll see the collective bets of traders in the market. And the market is actually pricing more rate cuts than the Fed and quicker rate cuts than the Fed. And we'll see what the future holds. But the overall trend seems to be very clear that we are in a rate-cutting cycle and rates are going to start dropping, which we're very thankful for and is great for us as multifamily investors. Now, on the next slide, we're going to talk here about you know the impacts on the multifamily investing landscape. And the big thing is, as interest rates rise, the value of multifamily multifamily assets drop. And over the last two years, we saw multifamily assets not being repriced for the new rates. And this caused a deep freeze in the multifamily marketplace with very few deals getting done. Thankfully, assets are now being repriced and hitting the market and transacting at realistic prices. And the problem is, generally speaking, the only people selling are those who are forced to sell. Everyone else is holding on and waiting for better market conditions. And we're going to circle back to this chart later in the webinar, but for now, just focus on the huge drop in volume in the red circle here. What this means in reality is that you know there's a larger number of operators fighting over a smaller number of deals, and we've seen a lot of operators basically being forced to buy assets at inflated prices, You know, being forced to win deals, to generate fees, to keep the lights on, to pay for their staff, to pay for the office. And this is going to come back to bite operators and investors in the years to come when that sell, those assets sell. Here at RSN, we are, we're a small team. We haven't had to do deals to keep the lights on. We've only done a couple of deals this year, which is you know much less than we would like. We'd obviously like to do a lot more, but we're not willing to compromise our underwriting standards. We're not willing to buy assets at inflated prices. And we play that long-term game. Keep in mind, it's always our capital in these deals as well as our investors. So we want to be smart with you know the deals that we do. And we definitely plan to do more deals in 2024. And the next slide is about the upcoming recession. And you know, look, hey, we pretty much called a recession by now. And look, we'll be the first to tell you that no one can predict the future accurately, but we like being pessimists. It's better to plan for the worst and hope for the best. I like the way the Japanese say it. It's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. That said, a lot of what we see in the market and the economy is in line with recessionary periods. And Reed's going to talk about this a little bit more later in the presentation. And look, the overall theme comes back to what we said earlier about being prepared for the road ahead. There's definitely some opportunity out there that we're going to talk about a lot. And you know, with that, we'll, we'll quickly buzz through the next slide here and I'll jump into the economic update. And you know, look, we're going to talk about the economy very briefly here. 
There's been a lot of talk in the news from financial experts about a recession, no recession, a hard landing, a soft landing. Honestly, it's confusing. And the truth is everyone you hear from is making educated guesses at best. You can read one article or listen to one expert who tells you the economy is booming and poised for growth. The next minute, another article tells you the opposite. The data looks amazing, then the data looks horrible. It's really difficult to know what's up and down. And, you know, it's difficult to predict what the future holds as well. And if we jump to the next slide, you know, we can look at some of the chaos of the last five years. We've obviously had the banking crisis. There's the war in Ukraine, the Israel-Gaza war. We had an election cycle. We've got another election cycle coming up. COVID was obviously absolutely crazy. What will the next five years bring? Are we going to have more black swans, you know, or are we going to have some stability that allows the economy to thrive? So I'm going to admit right here that this is a huge cop-out of an economic update, you know, and we know it. And we certainly can't make big predictions or speak to the status of the economy in any confident manner. You know, on the next slide, the point we're making is it's very difficult to see the forest from the trees with all this uncertainty and ambiguity. All we can do as multifamily operators is focus on sourcing and structuring deals that can thrive in any economic conditions. We hedge as much risk as possible, stay as conservative as possible, and just try to you know, be as smart as we can with our capital and the deals that we put together. And with that, we're going to transition to the multifamily market update where we are willing to be experts and stick our necks out with some confident predictions and commentary about the opportunity ahead. And with that, I will transition to Reid. So that was a good, good, quick and dirty overview of the market. And just a reminder for those people who do have questions throughout this presentation, please email me at read at rsmpropertygroup.com or you can chuck it in the chat below. So now we're going to dive deep into the multifamily market uh, specifically. And we're not referencing, we're not only referencing the public data, which we'll have in these slides, but we're also speaking to what we're seeing at, at RSN as we chat to brokers and investors, industry insiders about you know, really what's going on in real time. And I think that's the, the value of why you guys are joining here tonight. We do these six monthly calls so you guys can keep your finger on the pulse about what we're hearing in the market. We don't, we're not, we don't all try to be experts, but we try to share our knowledge first and foremost. So the first thing I'll say is that I'm sure most of you are investors in other multifamily deals. And I'm sure some of you may be in deals that experience some, some level of distress right now. And I'm going to talk about that distress in the multifamily sector in just one second. Um, but firstly, I want to talk more generally about our predictions from the last State of the Market webinar in May. And we gave an outlook on what things uh, have happened in the multifamily family industry. And most things of them are true today. The first thing is restrictive lending standards and tight lending standards are here. There are few lenders, fewer lenders, I should say, out there willing to do deals at today's uh, today as a result of those higher interest rates. And simply lenders aren't as competitive as they used to be given the higher interest rate environment. Now, this pullback has made it difficult to get deals done. And this is not necessarily 2008 territory, but it has been bloody difficult to get a deal done with the lending out there. Uh, we have a scenario where we've got local banks who are pricing themselves out of the market or they're just straight up not lending. And frankly, your best option is to go down the path of agency loans, the likes of Freddie and Fannie, uh, which is what we've actually opted to do on the two deals that we've closed on this year, the Tallows and the, the Lennox. Now, however, these lenders are also changing their standards as well on how they lend to operators. They're actually increasing their co-invest requirements from sponsors and they're cracking down on passive key principals uh, who are signing on loans but, not, uh, but aren't taking a material role in operating operations. And they're just generally uh, offering less attractive terms in an increase and increased scrutiny on every little thing that they do. 
Simply put, you know, with fewer lenders out there, those who are willing to play ball can dictate their own terms. And we have seen that play out in real time. Uh, we'll share a, a real world example. Uh, the Tallows at Peoria, which we closed on a deal in late September. Uh, early on, we'd signed up with Freddie. Uh, they quoted on the deal and we were ready to pull the trigger. Uh, however, at the 11th hour, Freddie wanted the GP to co-invest almost 10 times more equity uh, than what was previously agreed to with them, which was just simply not practical on such a short notice. And this didn't impact the overall deal because we still got to got, we got the deal done and we were able to pivot quickly to an alternative financing solution with Fanny. Um, but it's an example of lenders really starting to dictate terms in a manner, you know, maybe historically out of industry norms. And this is just one of the examples we're seeing in real time. Now, there's also the risks of refis or, or loans being called due. And we actually thought that this would be more pronounced by now. We're actually seeing more of the banks and far more willing to work with lenders to be accommodating than we once had predicted back in May. Most banks are appearing, or say appearing, to be working with borrowers to extend their loan terms or to do loan modifications in order to allow operators more time in the saddle and the lenders to keep the assets on their books and not realize those losses today. However, not all lenders are playing ball and not all deals are worth saving today. We are seeing some lenders indeed taking back the keys and that's what we've seen in the headlines. Now, deals are struggling because of the higher interest rates and a lot of operators with floating rate debt are facing distress as their debt you know service starts to exceed the income on their assets and they lose and start to lose money each and every month now operators with expiring debt terms are finding it very difficult if not impossible to refinance today uh, in the higher interest rate environment and asset prices are worthless today the values are tied to the market cap rates and as interest rates have gone up in the last 12 to 18 months so do market cap rates and we have seen the biggest expansion in multifamily cap rates across the United States in the past 18 months. And this means that owners of assets don't want to sell if they purchased an asset at a four cap, and now cap rates are in the mid sixes. And this is because their assets are worth significantly less than at these higher cap rates. And since early 2022, before rates shot up, compared to today, we have seen valuations across the United States change, anywhere between 20 to 40%, even more across some markets. Now, deal flow. You can see from this graph that the transactional volume, as Ben mentioned earlier, has fallen off a cliff at the end of 2021. And we probably saw euphoric levels of transactions in 2021. You can also see that valuations have dropped significantly. This blue line is showing the dip. So it's really affecting uh, the multifamily sector right now. I previously spoke about the multifamily deals with expiring rate caps, uh, expiring debt, I should say. And these are the ticking time bombs and are the main reasons we are seeing any deals transact today. Operators who are being forced to sell into a buyer's markets uh, you know, are being priced at 20, 30, 40% lower than what their purchase price was maybe two, three, four, five years ago. Some deals we are even seeing being valued lower than the cost of the debt on the property. And given where market cap rates are, that is a major, major issue. Many investors are starting to, we're starting to see some of them lose large chunks of their initial equity or even be, you know, unfortunately wiped out uh, completely. Now, looking forward, there are a large number of expiring multifamily loans coming due within the next five years. And we believe this to be the main cause of distress in the multifamily sector over the next 12, 6, 12, 24 months. Short-term loans are coming due will force owners to make a decision. They need to, If they need to sell at today's reduced valuations and take a loss, 
or try and refinance into a high interest rate loan, which may require a capital call. As you can see from this graph, the majority of the expirations will be the short-term debt with that zero to three years in the dark blue column. Now, depending on where you stand in this wave of ex uh, expirations, we are seeing more operators being forced to do capital calls to prolong their time in the saddle and ride out this slowdown. And this is obviously impacting, you know, a huge issue for the for the multifamily industry, and particularly many headlines of syndicating groups starting to show big uh, issues and signs of distress in their portfolios. And we think there will be more, even more distress to come in the next six to 12 months for existing multifamily owners who are being forced to sell today. However, on the other side, who operators with good to medium long-term debt uh, on their assets, they're logically uh, choosing not to sell right now, opting to ride out the market as interest rates decline and asset prices hopefully rebound. Now, this might all sound like doom and gloom, right? And and we think, it, but we actually think it's a fantastic time to be buying deals, you know, in the coming three to twelve months. And you can see from this graph that multifamily cap rates across uh, the U.S. have actually risen, right? This is the we, we saw the. The, the, the trough. And then there's, you know, it's, it's also expecting to continue to expand. Now, no one actually knows when cap rates will peak. However, if you look at a graph from the Phoenix market, which we're active in, it shows that three star assets are, start, are trading at four and a half cap rates today. However, we are already picking up cap rates or deals with cap rates closer to 6% cap rates. The two deals we purchased here in 2023 were between 5.75 and 6%, which you know is about 100 to 120 point basis points higher than what the data is showing. And you know, why do I mention this? Well, I bring this up to point out to try and emphasize our ongoing commitment, you know, here at RSN to consistently try and scan our markets for promising opportunities and subsequently you know we want to buy them and present them to you guys as investors now while this is partly because the data on the screen shows the overall average in the market uh, the other key reason that we want to point this out is that the data generated by these companies like CoStar may not be as accurate and as real-time with cap rates that we're observing on our actual transactions. And so we think waiting until the data is published is often too late, underscoring the real importance of a diligent approach to underwriting. And we're actively exploring, you know, continuing to explore off-market deals. We're not pencils down. We're continuing to maintain you know, comprehensive records for ourselves and then compare that to what we're seeing in the current status of under when we're underwriting deals and then trying to seize opportunities and make offers as we see fit. Now let's talk shift and talk about rents. As we look forward, we consistently monitor the rent growth here in the United States and across all our key markets because the ability to grow rents is the fundamental to our success as any multifamily uh, investor. Of course, shelter is a human need. Now more than ever, people of America need safe affordable rental housing to raise their family and this trend Will you know this? This trend, along with natural rent growth, will continue to have an upward pressure on rents over the long term. However, now in the short term, we are seeing a pullback in rents across a large part of the U.S., including markets we own assets in. We have seen roughly five to fifteen percent drop in average market rents over the past six months. However, while nationally rents have been largely stable in in the graph. In key markets like Phoenix, we saw average rent growth in the pre-pandemic between 2 and 3%. We saw massive spike post-pandemic of upwards of 20% in some markets, as you can see from this slide, way back in late 2021 and early 2022. And look, not everything can handle and be at that level for that long. And so we are now experiencing a very normal and healthy correction. Going forward, as this graph is sort of indicating for the forecast, we're going to see rents normalize over the next four to five years in a three to 4% rent growth. And practically speaking, we're seeing today studio rents across 
you know, most of our active markets, and we're talking about secondary markets, B and C assets, we're seeing you know, studio rents range between $900 to $1,100. We're seeing one-bedroom rents between $1,100 to $1,400. We're seeing two-bedroom rents between $1,400 and $1,600. But these base rents were actually 10 to 15% higher about six months ago. And the reason we believe this reduction is multifaceted in our opinion. And the first reason is obviously inflation, right? And, and you know, it's taking its toll. The average American, we saw these massive increases uh, post-pandemic of 20%. And the average American on average wave just can't afford to continue to pay higher rents, particularly in class B and C spaces, particularly when wages aren't going up. And then there was always going to be a ceiling that we hit. And it's just it was just a matter of time. And we actually believe we hit that ceiling earlier this year at the end of summer. Moving forward, we will see rents settle out. But over the long term, we do still believe, like the forecast shows, that it, you know, rents will continue to increase, but at a more stabilized rate. The second thing we think is impacting rents right now is household formations. Now, we saw in uh, COVID a decreasing household formations as more liquidity was in the market, as in renters' pockets, meant that more people could afford to live on their own and move out of their parents' place. Today, we feel that this is actually reversing in real time in our active markets. And part of the reason, again, I say part of the reason, we are seeing rents decline with you know increased vacancy and an uptick in delinquency. Now, the last thing I'll mention is a big Im- impact o- o- across a lot of markets is new deliveries. Across a lot of the markets we invest in, we have seen a large number of new deliveries, and this is having an impact on rental rate demand across all asset classes, B, A, B, and C. Now, on the flip side, we're seeing new delivery starts slow down in a high interest rate environment. So as these new deliveries come and be absorbed over the next two to three years, we do believe we're going to come into a bit of a lull in new construction in some of our key markets. And in two or three years' time, we believe it'll be good to be owning existing assets when demand starts to outstrip supply. We talk about the long-term growth of rents. And despite the short-term volatility we're just talking about, we don't want to take a moment and look at like the forecast from you know, the forest, sorry, the forest between the trees here. And here's a 70-year rent growth chart that shows some little dips and gains here and there, but fundamentally grows slow and steadily upwards. Or and, and overall, we see that this is going to be a multi-decade trend continuing you know, in the years to come. So in terms of the opportunity ahead, and as we conclude this multifamily market update, we haven't tried to, you know, we don't want to pull any punches and we don't want to make it seem rosier than what it is. And, you know, if we've caused, you know, some fear and anxiety, obviously we're sorry, but we want the message we want you to leave with is that we believe we are at or near the bottom of this cyclical multifamily market, representing a compelling opportunity to buy assets at highly favorable prices in the next three to 12 months. We may look back in the next three to 12 months as one of the best entry points over the next decade to start buying multi. We plan to keep putting great deals together and heavily invest in our own capital alongside obviously you guys as investors in order to capitalize on this opportunity. As Warren Buffett says, widespread fear is your friend. And we believe there's actually widespread fear in the multifamily industry today. And thus, there will be good bargains to be had. Now, Let's pivot and talk about how we are you know, moving forward. I'm not going to talk a little bit about too long on these types of things because the next two slides were presented many times in past webinars and they're fundamentally unchanged. And the first thing is, you know, we continue to believe that people will always need shelter. I've, I've repeated that numerous times on this webinar already. And that fundamental alone is why we like to invest in, in multifamily real estate. Secondly, there uh, continues to be a shortage of affordable housing in America combined with higher interest rates and wages not keeping up with inflation. We're seeing less people buy homes and forcing more people to rent. And this is just economics 101 of supply versus demand. 
Overall, our thesis remains unchanged. You might have seen again this slide before in our previous webinars, and we will continue to invest in value-add multifamily class B assets with predictable cash flow, catering for the workforce housing for people who earn between forty dollars and $80,000 a year. Now, um, you might be asking, well, how are we adjusting moving forward and how are we looking for new deals in today's changing economic environment? So during the last 12 to 24 months of interest rate volatility and, and asset repricing and asset, you know, was it price uh, uh, stabilization, we were open to looking at lower cash flowing opportunities and focusing more on equity growth. Now that the market has started to shift and stabilize, we are focusing on both both cash flow and equity multiples. We're also still aiming to keep larger cash buffers to reduce overall deal risk. Even if this shaves down on the overall returns, we believe having large cash buffers is good to have on to have cash on hand. We're also remaining open to shorter term holds, the three to five years, which is what we've historically done. However, we expect market circumstances to warrant a more medium to long-term holds, that five to seven-year holds. And this goes back to the fundamentals of real estate. It is a great medium to long-term investment. In recent years, we've seen operators treat this asset like a, you know, a short-term fix and flip projects. And the industry itself is readjusting back to its fundamentals of what has produced the most amount of millionaires in history. Now, obviously, the biggest drawback in some of these deals has been invested liquidity. And we're actually working with you know, new industry as it responds to these changing in changing times. There's groups out there that are starting to fill this void by offering resale markets, secondary markets for LP investments in active deals or even loans against LP investments. We're only at the beginning of this, but we're definitely starting to entertain these ideas to offer liquidity for our investors in a historically illiquid investment. Uh, we're continuing to invest in heavily in our own tax advantage strategies like we've utilized in our Greenville deal, which completely eliminates property tax by keeping our rents below certain AMIs. Internally, we're focusing on more off-market deal sourcing and deal flow. We don't want to obviously give away all our secrets, but we just know that we uh, aren't putting our pencils down and waiting for the deal volume to come back to us. We are actively out there assessing deals in real time to try and catch the best ones possible. We've continued to hold firm on our underwriting standards. We're not being overly optimistic about rent growth. We're actually thinking flat rent growth over the next 12 months. And we don't want to compromise on our standards in orders to force a deal to pencil. We'll continue to be maintain our discipline on our conservative underwriting. Now, besides continuing to offer great multifamily real estate and deals, we're also starting to offer in different investment opportunities on our platform. And some of you may have seen our debt fund that we launched early this month in our newsletter. And we actually surveyed all of our investors about three or four months ago. And the overall response back to us was, you know, they want to start offering different real estate backed investment opportunities. And we will be doing formal launch of this debt fund next year. So, so please be on the lookout for that. But it's another way we're changing. Make no bones about it. There is distress in the multifamily market and likely more to come. And we're utilizing our deep industry network to reach out to distressed multifamily operators who don't have the time to go and list their property in the open market. And maybe we can catch something off market. Then we're leveraging our reputation to, to try and get good first looks at these deals by you know, trying to offer these distressed operators a win-win situation. Uh, we've brought on additional staff and software and systems to bolster our ability to, cap to raise more capital and to do larger deals. And we've widened our net to potential markets in order to maximize the number of deals that we are seeing. Now, in terms of rate-specific issues, we are still preferring to skew towards fixed-rate debt financing, regardless of the fact that we're entering a rate-cutting cycle. As long as it has a flexible exit option with the maybe like a, a step-down prepay, uh, which we can refi into the future into lower rates, we are opting to do that today. 
There are still a lot of deals out there with sweetheart rates from you know 2021 and earlier, and we're actively looking to bid on those deals that with assumable debt in place at lower rates. Now, we've saved the biggest two adjustments to last, and we've said numerous times throughout these presentations that the Fed is moving to an interest rate cutting cycle, and we need to be responsive to that in, in real time. And historically, our underwriting process, we've assumed rate caps expanding over a four, five, six-year period. The reality is that the interest rates may drop to more realistic, and it might be more realistic to assume cap rate compression. This has, you know, is a, is a notable impact on projector returns and is a big change for us philosophically, but we may feel that that may be warranted in the future. Accordingly, we may also even consider future refis and potentially even underwriting to a refi given where interest rates are at today and where they could be at the future. So Ben, with that being said, that is, you know, that is it from us. We're going to hand it over to Q&A, but I just wanted to let you have a few minute, more minutes before we get into that. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Reid. Look, while Reid goes through his email and looks at the questions that people have opted to send privately. We're going to answer some of those and, and please pop some questions in the chat. I'll do a quick recap while he does that and say, look, you know, guys, there's no, make no bones about it. There's been, uh, you know, a couple of years of volatility here with, you know, rates and inflation, uh, but we are seeing stabilized pricing. You know, the volume in the market is still low for all the reasons we mentioned, and there's definitely distress in the market. And, it is a little bit scary and we've not tried to paint a particularly rosy picture here or, you know, kind of uh, make it seem better than it is. But we're starting a rate cutting cycle, which is great. And we solidly believe that we are near the bottom of the cyclical multifamily market. And we have a solid plan to capitalize on this. You know, we're seeing huge opportunity in the future here. And we're putting our money where our mouth is. You know, as we've mentioned numerous times, we put our own capital into every single deal that we do. And as operators, we really only make money when these deals are a success. So, you know, we're jumping in with both feet, using this as an opportunity to capitalize on the current situation. And with that, uh, Reid, you got any questions there? One was like, how is the new supply affecting rents and what does this mean for the short term and maybe long term? I briefly touched on it before. So we are constantly monitoring to new deliveries uh, in, in all our markets and, and new deliveries do impact rents, right? Uh, we're seeing that happen, roll out in real time. But we also are seeing permitting fall off a cliff, meaning that new you know, jobs that are being submitted for permits have really dried up because of your higher interest rate environment. So I think you're going to see, again, I'm, I don't have a crystal ball, but you'll see a pullback in, you'll, you, we've got the new deliveries right now and stuff that's already in construction, that will deliver that will be absorbed in the next 12 to 18 months. And then you'll probably see a bit of a lull, call it 2020, I don't know, 2025, 2026, 2027, and, you know, unless interest rates drastically reduce between now and then. So um, it is, it does impact us. We're looking at it closely. And uh, but but there there is some, you know, light between the trees, so to speak, even though we've, you know, as that absorbs in certain markets, you know, and, and the supply then uh, drops off you know, it'll only bode well for the existing multifamily, regardless of the vintage of asset that, you know, there'll be less rental in the market for people to rent and thus rents will go up. That That's our belief. Again, we don't have a crystal ball. So hopefully that answers that one. Are you hearing uh, if certain bridge lenders are in distress? Uh, good question. Um, we are, yeah, we, we are hearing some stuff. You, I'm sure all you guys are uh, seeing the, the headlines. I don't need to name any names, but yes, we are hearing that. But we, you know, we're we're a small fry. We don't know, you know, we don't know what that means. I think it bodes well this pausing in in the Fed posturing rate cuts next year. I think it was it's needed, but 
you know, I, I I don't know the balance sheets of everyone's, you know, all these bridge lenders and how they're doing or not. So you've seen some deals started to get take back in, in those headlines. But as I mentioned earlier, we're seeing a lot more workouts happening today because it, it may not necessarily be that it's a bad real estate deal in the sense of, you know, operations and or not necessarily operations, but like, you know, moving, uh, increasing rents and, 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 you know, getting better efficiency on the site. A majority of the deals that are in distress are bad cap stack issues, you know, not buying a rate cap, too highly leveraged, all that sort of stuff. And so, so some people are being forced to take it back. So th- th- I guess the real thing from that question is like, I don't know who's enemy number one. And if, you know, they're going to, um, uh, you know, it's going to be that wildfire contagion that if if one of the banks falls or one of the lenders falls and all the all of the rest fall, but it, it's definitely something we're watch, watching closely. We are hearing that the 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 lenders that are coming to uh, not necessarily us, but we're hearing from brokers on deals that are in distress. A lot of lenders want to get their their money out at the debt numbers. But we are penciling those deals at lower than their debt numbers, and they're saying to us, "We're not doing short sales." So, uh, if it's not worth you know twenty, if, it, if, it, if the loan's twenty million bucks and it ain't worth twenty million bucks, then I don't know how I'm going to pay twenty million bucks for it. So that's what we're hearing. That's what they're posturing uh, some of these lenders. So I don't know if it's a time will tell, so to speak. You know, is if they'll start to stake discounts on the original note with the Fed pointing to interest rate cuts. Does that help? I'm not sure if it helps drastically. The Fed will have to cut pretty drastically in order to, you know, for 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 that uh, for the, for those lenders to keep that type of sentiment going. So hopefully, you answered that question there. So one challenge to see in buying properties this year is cash flow distress deals um, that are way often the revenues down because the property occupancy is up. Blah, blah, blah. The factors kill cash flow, where so we can buy them for sure. But look uh, for more equity plays. So what types of deals will be cash flow positive this year or next? That's from Chris. Chris, I know you personally, mate. Uh, yeah, look, it's it's tough, right? Like you're trying to buy, we're hearing from a lot of obviously you guys as investors and institutional investors wanting positive arbitrage on deals. We bought two deals this year and they both had positive arbitrage, meaning the going in cap rate is higher than the interest rate we got on the deal. And it, it mean, that means it can cash flow from day one. You, know, you rewind 12, 18, 24 months ago, people were buying deals at negative arbitrage where the cap rate was lo- going cap rate was less than the uh, interest rate, thus, and you're relying on rent growth to pop you through. And, and you know, so thus you start with negative cash flow. The question Chris, I think, is asking is like, you've got interest rates in the five, six, seven, eight percent. It's not five, six, you've got interest rate in six, seven, eight percent, but cap rates are still in the low fives. Yeah, they're, they're, it's it's tough, right? It's tough to try and be like, well, what's the path here to get to cash flow? Does it? Have, do you have to see more expansion in cap rates for that to really, you know, occur? Which expansion in cap rates means um, a reduction in asset values. Only time will tell. So the deals that we are looking at and are buying are having positive arbitrage from day one, and that's the only way we can raise money from investors. I hope that makes sense. Um, I'll, I'll add to that one quickly as yeah. well. Um, you know, the other factor is a lot of these distressed deals, there are operators who may be doing the greatest job on them. So yeah, revenue's down and occupancy is up, but as solid operators with a lot of experience and a solid track record, we're going to be able to push that revenue up and fix those occupancy issues, bring a little rigor to the way that these things are managed and, you know, ultimately get that NOI up. And a lot of the time we'll obviously pencil it out, but 
we can get these deals to cash flow a lot of the time. Uh, I've got a question here about it looks like the debt fund. I think so. It's about your debt fund. And to- it's a, yes, it's a totally separate business. We're raising money for uh, like short um, fix and flip deals on like sub $500,000 type of loans. It's um, so that it's a completely different business. I don't want to sidetrack this conversation, Grant, with that. And we're paying out an 8% compounded um, interest rate to investors sitting in first position. It's just a different, it's real estate backed. It's slightly different taste and feel to the multi side. And it also allows us to offer investors an option to invest. It's an evergreen investment type of thing. You can you can enter the fund whenever you want. So unlike multifamily, where you may only we only did two deals this year. So, you know, we can't sit around and and and, and twiddle our thumbs for for the rest of the year. So hopefully uh, that answers that question. Are the lenders going to do loan workouts or foreclosures when the property is no longer uh, longer pencil when owners needed a refund? Yeah, look. What I'm hearing, and I don't know if this is true, is that they'd rather kick the can and say, okay, we're going to do a loan mod, which means we're not going to put you into, you know, say your DSCR ratios are less than what the, lo- uh, the loan um, agreement has. In that instance, if your DCR ratios are, say, less than one, which means you're not, you, you, the cash, the, the NOI doesn't meet the debt, they could technically, you'd be in, def- in technical default, right? I'm hearing those lenders going to those uh, people or vice versa, and saying, hey, this is where we see the asset going in the next 12, 18 months. Give us more time. Please allow an extension of a year. I'm seeing that happen before I'm seeing the asset repriced and saying, okay, we're going to take it back. Here are the keys. And I think a lot more people are doing the former one, Dave, because if you start hearing words on the street that say, you know, a big bridge debt fund is starting to reprice all their assets, they're having to realize those losses today. So they, they're also not incentivized to realize those losses. If they can work with you and think that there's a good operator behind there and you can get it to some sort of, to save them at least, maybe you don't save your equity, but maybe you save at least them, then they're probably, they're going to try and at least work with you, right? And, and I think that's what we're seeing different for maybe 2008. Shecky, I hope you're doing well, my friend. Good to see you on these. Uh, how does the rate uh, rate cap pricing on existing deals look after the FMO yesterday? I think, um, yeah, like, I think it's, it it will have an impact. I saw the treasuries down even more today, sub four percent, which you know only six weeks ago it was at five percent. So that's going to have an even bigger impact. Uh, it will impact. I don't know if um, rate caps have repriced. I'm sure they've repriced in real time. I'm not a rate cap expert, but you can go on, on chatham.com or, or whatever, and you can you can do a calculation in real time. You can do it again tomorrow. You can do it again in a week and see if it's if it's adjusting. It will have an impact, Jackie. I don't know the exact, you know, is it 10% today or is it 20%? I don't know that. Uh, yes. You mentioned that good operators, good operators are able to increase occupancy. What problems lead to low occupancy? So, yeah, look, we've seen... Back to that comment on the um to to back to a couple of things I mentioned earlier, you know, one is uh the 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 household formations, right? I think that is that is we're seeing that happen more than what has been led on in the news. And that's because we're seeing people applying more for two bedrooms now with a with a roommate, you know, on, on our small sample size <laughs> of our properties, but we're seeing that that be um more prevalent today than say back in COVID or post-COVID, we saw a lot more people um, wanting the studios in the one bedrooms because they could move out. They don't have to rent with a uh, with a with a with a roommate. Uh, I'm not saying that's verbatim exactly what's happening, but 
the lower occupancy, and then cu- couple that with maybe new inventory, you you are seeing some people, you know, doing the whole, I'm going to just keep bouncing around and getting free rents. You know, you're seeing these new deliveries offering six to eight weeks off. Well, now the existing, you know, class C place have got to offer four to four to four to five weeks off. So I'm saying a couple of things there, Chris, but occupancy is being driven by household reformational, you know, reformation and a combination of uh, of new uh, deliveries to the market. I can add to that a little bit as well. Um, you know, Reed's obviously speaking about you know market forces. What's important to realise is like. This is a hands-on business when you're actually on the ground. So you've got a property manager who it's their job to attract potential tenants, speak to them competently on the phone, um, have a good marketing program, um, actively monitor the rents that should be you know, going out for these um, deals, setting good uh, concessions. There's a whole bunch of stuff that actually happens on the ground to, you know, get tenants in and get leases occurring and, you know, some property managers do a great job of that and you don't need to look after them. Others don't necessarily and you've got to really strongly manage them and manage the team and be a good asset manager on top of them. And it really becomes uh, you know, just a management and coordination effort to make sure that you're maintaining that ultimate control and responsibility for the success of the deal. And you know, I don't want to um, besmirch the competition too much, but you know, we often see deals where that just isn't quite happening, and occupancy is taking a huge hit. And we know that if we could get in there and run it the way we want to run it, we'd be able to get that occupancy up. So I'll pause there, Chris. Hopefully, that answers your question a little bit more. But feel free to ask follow-ups. And on that, you know, we've actually just recently fired a property management company in one of our markets, and it's it hasn't been pretty. And and you know, the number one thing we are seeing is it's been difficult to attract talent. And this goes back a little bit to the higher for longer and the inflationary impacts. We have seen payroll on across multiple MSAs continue to grow, right? If I look back to when I first started in this business, you could pay your average leasing person, you know, $16 an hour. Today, that's more like in the low 20s. And that's the same with like a porter or your maintenance tech or something like that. And so you're seeing people moving very, very quickly for a couple of bucks. And those same community managers that you could pay maybe $50,000, $60,000 a year are now requiring sixty-five dollars or $70,000 a year uh, to get good talent. And so you know now you're trying to still fit a role, which is you know your rents aren't going up because your rents are declining, right? You can't afford to pay a higher, higher payroll, but the market is, is giving you uh, peanuts because you can't afford the good the good the good managers thus you got to settle for about you know an average manager and then you may roll through those managers more quickly and that's the problem we saw with a, we've seen with a couple of property managers is just the ability to attract good talent that's been a hard part as well and that affects occupancy and delinquency and all that stuff so you know what we have done internally is you know we've got boots on the ground in all our markets and our asset managers are, are literally rolling up the sleeves and helping them like you know helping them post on you know, giving them ideas about where to post and, uh, you know, to, to try and attra- attract leads and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's a weird time, but it's also a factor of higher inflationary environment in an industry that, you know, has historically, you know, relied on that that bum in the seat in, in the, the community management position. It, it really makes or breaks the asset. We've had one asset that's had seven different community managers in 15 months. It's been insane. You know, like you can't trying to keep good talent. That's why we had to fire that property management company because at some point we were just like, this is a you problem, not a, not an us problem. You, you know, we need we need someone who's going to be able to attract good talent and keep them there. So uh, I hope that answers that question. I probably went on a little bit too long for that. 
I've got a couple other questions here uh, in the email. How do you think the election is going to impact rates next year? I think that's a very good question that I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. But in general, if you look back at history, typically deals slow down around an election when, you know, when people are waiting to see the outcome. And, and markets react to that as well. I think on both sides of the aisle, you're going to see people trying to reduce this. Uh, and, and probably the Fed doesn't want to be seen cutting rates to favor one side or the other leading up to an election. So, but it will have an impact. I don't know if the exact impact, but trust me, the US, you know, the US elections as a non US person uh, who's come to this country, I, it definitely will impact interest rates and that for good or worse. I don't know what that's going to be. And that's, you know, another not necessarily black swan event, but that's another thing that will, that's an outside factor forcing um, the market to shift one way or the other. Are you seeing an uptick in fraudulent tenant rental applications? Funny you mentioned that. I actually got someone emailing me the other day. They uh, emailed me a link to BizNow and they were talking about how these uh, groups in Atlanta were like doing these really fraudulent um, rental applications. We have seen an uptick in delinquency for sure, but I don't think we've seen an uptick in, and, and, and I'll have to talk about asset managers, in fraudulent stuff. Now, actually, as I say that out loud, we have implemented on some of our assets in Greenville in the Carolinas, what's called, I think it's called Snapped, S-N-A-A-P-P-T. And it's a scanner that scans applications for fraudulent applications. And I believe it's picking up on stuff. We're starting to roll that out across our portfolio. Um, but I have heard of these groups, you know, really going quite deep into to, um, making documents very realistic and, 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 and you know, getting tenants into these units that aren't the tenants. Like they're not, they're completely making up their names. It's, it's for uh, identity theft. And, you know, you're, you're trying to kick out Joe Blow, but it's not actually Joe Blow in there. It's, you know, Cameron Smith. And so um, it has been a bit of a, um, it has been a, a bit of an issue and we're trying to combat it, you know, we, you know daily. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a back to the underlying statement here. There's higher for longer. The Fed is saying we're not in a recession, but we're seeing things in real time like increase in fraudulence, you know, tenants and, you know, people being delinquent. It's, it's you know, payroll issues and attracting good stuff. It's ha- like we're seeing it. We're like the canary in the coal mine, in my in my opinion. And it feels more recessionary than what we're leading on to. It might just be we're recessionary in the commercial, in the multifamily space, but you know, I'm sure other people on this call would, would probably agree with me a little bit uh, like that. So, so that that's that's that one. I've got another question here: Is that are you expecting investor expectations to adjust coming into these deals? And um, I think I touched on it briefly earlier. You know, we've always maintained. Uh, you know, we're trying to aim to double someone's money in a five to seven year uh, term. Um, that's that's our goal. That's that backs into a mid-teen IRR of say somewhere between fourteen and sixteen percent over a five to six year hold. We have been able to produce better returns than that in the 20s and the low 30 percent that I run. That's been fantastic. But you know, historically, if you look at what real estate has produced over the long term, it is a medium to long-term investment. And so I think that's readjusting into this higher inflationary environment has caused us to readjust investor expectations and we're investors as well. But we've always maintained from the from the get-go, we want to try and double someone's money in five to seven years. If we can do that. We're doing just fine. So, how that impacts the individuals on this call? Uh, if you're expecting to double your money in two years, well, maybe that's not the. Uh, yeah, we, we, we're not we're not promising that. So, um, so maybe that's a, a different investment opportunity. But let me know what that is if you do. 
Chris Collins got here. With occupancy being tough as tenants double up and rents flatten, have you seen uh, softening tenant criteria or staying, or staying strict? So I think what you're saying there, Chris, is like there's a usually a 2.5 or a three times multiple on income. We have seen some tenants move in and do that thing of like you get the free month and then they don't pay and then you got to get them out. So they, they essentially have eight weeks free of renting because it takes you a month to kick them out. They might have passed the you know three times multiple. Now back to the fraudulent thing. I don't know if they've you know forged pay stubs or whatever, uh, but we have seen a, a little bit of that you know jumping around and getting the the free the free month rent and all that sort of stuff. In general, we're we're, we're sticking to our you know three times multiple of, of income. We we want to be getting attracting better tenants, but it is in a, a softening rental market. It is we have more deliveries in our markets and we have to compete with that. So thus you're dropping rents, you're offering concessions and. You know, coming into the new year, we're hoping to see that reverse. Thank you, Chris, for 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 everything there. So, look, we're coming to the top of the hour here, Ben. I think that's really it on the chat and in my emails. So, I really, really appreciate everyone jumping on and um, hearing our our latest update. We try and do these, you know, once every six months. Uh, we don't pretend to be economists. We're just trying to share with you some some insider stuff that we're seeing and share the knowledge, right? We all want to be better investors together. And we we encourage feedback, right? If you guys have any feedback for us on these, about these calls, you want us to touch on other things, let us know. We spend a lot of time prepping for these. We're just really, really grateful that you've all shown up today. We're grateful for the investors who invest alongside of us and you know and, and uh, you know, allow us to be stewards of your capital. Uh, we continue to, to want to look for great deals out there, but it has been tough hunting. You know, we've only done two deals this year. We would have liked to have done more. Hopefully that's going to change in the new year. And, you know, please be on the lookout for new deals and, and different verticals within our business. And, and we, we, you know, we hope you all have an incredible holiday season. If you're getting away, spending it with, with fa- friends and family. I know Ben's already in Australia, spending some t- good old time down there. And I just you know, wish you all the best and we'll see you in the new year. Ben, any, any last words before we close it out? No, you've said it all really well. Thanks so much, guys. Um, happy holidays, everyone. Speak to you in the new year. Thanks so much.